Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So let's talk about the uh, the mess that is the uh, Republican-led House of Representatives. There's now going to be a motion to vacate. Matt Gates filed the motion, and uh, they're going to have a vote, I think, today. Um, the motion to vacate, which is to basically oust the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, a fellow Republican of Gates's, um, they're going. Uh, the motion would remove him from the office. Um, it requires only five Republicans to succeed. If is a big if. If every single House Democrat were to vote to oust McCarthy, and right now it's not clear how Democrats in the House will vote. Although now it actually has become more clear. So earlier today, this morning, when I pulled this story off of the Washington Examiner website, they say there are uh, House Republicans who have said they will support the motion to vacate. And those Republicans are Matt Gates. Obviously, it's his proposal, right? And then you got Andy Biggs, who ran for Speaker of the House and lost. Eli Crane from Arizona and Bob Good from Virginia. So that's four. They need five in order to get McCarthy out if they can get every single House Democrat also. And that's if uh, they're all in attendance because you've got, you know, the issues with if, if not everybody is there, then the numbers to pass change. The House Speaker was defiant in a post on Twitter, now called X, saying, quote, bring it on. After Gates followed, or sorry, filed the motion to vacate. Gates, as described yesterday by the Associated Press as the, quote, far-right Republican from Florida, because, of course, threatened to use a procedural tool called a motion to vacate to try to strip McCarthy of his office. Um, but he needs every single Democrat vote. Can he get that? And is it something that he even has to whip up himself, right? When you're in charge of getting all of the votes together, you are the you're the whip, right? So, like uh, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina, he was one of the whips for Steve Scalise. He was the chief whip, and then they get deputy whips, and your your job is to whip the votes up, right? Is to is to make the calls, talk to all of the members because there's you know 200 plus members in each of the uh, party caucuses or conferences, whatever you want to call them. And you got to try to get a hold of everybody and make sure that they're going to vote the way you want them to vote. If they don't want to vote that way, is there something you can do to make them vote that way? You know, one knuckle, two knuckles broken, whatever. Um, maybe a kneecap, uh, that kind of thing. Or maybe just, you know, some you know projects for their district and that kind of thing. What do I need to do to make you be a yes or a no? Whatever. So you're whipping the votes. So does Gates need to even go and whip the votes? Not necessarily. Not necessarily, because Democrats, sensing blood in the water, right, they can do something 
all on their own. They could whip their own votes. They could say, you know what? Let's see the way Republicans self-immolate here, set themselves on fire. Let's let, let's just see the way they what what like really what's the worst that could happen here? Nothing gets done. Oh, boo hoo. Then we can attack Republicans as getting nothing done. They're in disarray, although they're never in disarray. Remember, that's always the Democrats. So they're, you know, civil war. They'd be in the middle of a civil war and then they could attack the Republicans for not getting anything done. That's To me, Democrats are in a win-win position here. If McCarthy survives and they do it and and he survives without the help of Democrats, then you're at status quo. If uh, you uh, if you try to oust him, you you throw your support with Gates and you do oust him and mayhem ensues, chaos ensues, then. Hey, even better for Democrats. So a little while ago, less than an hour ago. Um, Melanie Zanoma, Capitol Hill reporter for CNN, reported centrist Democrats in the bipartisan Problem Solvers Caucus, which is like the worst name of a caucus ever. That's like top vote getter. Like, come on, guys. Problem Solver Caucus. What's your what's your solution then, guys? And you know me. I am all about solutions. So what's your solution? You got one on this? No. Okay. They meet today. They tell the Republicans after uh, in the group, rather, that they will not be saving McCarthy. The Democrats say they are not going to help save McCarthy. And these are the, quote, centrist Democrats. McCarthy's last potential line of defense and another sign that Democrats will be unified in their decision not to bail him out today. Lee Ann Caldwell, who is... Um, Washington Post reporter, she says, and by the way, I do go to the uh, the legacy outlets for this kind of info because like they're they're the mouthpieces for the Democrats. And so if you want to know what the Democrats want you to think, you you go to those sources. Right. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying you go to those sources because they're feeding those talking points and they're, they're telegraphing strategy and positions, at least what they want people to hear. So if you want to know what Democrats think, then you read the legacy outlets. So Democrats will not vote present and will not vote to table. Sources say the caucus is unified. So what does that mean? So tab- so they're going to the Republicans wanted to try to table this motion today. And that means w- when you table something, it dies. You, you lay it on the table. And, and then you don't take it up anymore. It's dead. So the Republicans were going to try to table this, this motion to vacate the chair. Republicans want to table it, but they would need support from Democrats to do so. Democrats are like, no, we're not going to vote to table it. Okay, okay. Well, how about then if you just vote present? You don't have to vote yes. You don't have to vote no. Just say, yeah, I'm here, but I'm not going to take a position. It's like an abstention, basically. And if they did that, then Republicans would still have enough votes in order to win the tabling of the motion or the defeating the motion to vacate the chair. But Democrats are like, no, we're going to vote. We're not going to vote present. We're going to vote yay or nay. McCarthy's, and, and here's why. McCarthy's actions on January 6th, his trip to Mar-a-Lago to woo Trump, right? His attempt to discredit the January 6th committee, 
his reneging on the debt limit deal and his actions this weekend where he pushed through the continuing resolution and, you know, completely tricked that congressman into pulling the fire alarm, right? <laughs> like all of that, those, those are all their reasons. So they're going to punish McCarthy. So all of the things that the, quote, hardliners, right, the House Freedom Caucus members, the Matt Gateses, right, the things that Matt Gates wanted McCarthy to do, these are now the reasons why Democrats are not going to help save him from Matt Gates. So what do other members of the House Freedom Caucus think about all of this? Well, Congressman Ralph Norman from South Carolina, quote, I have been profoundly disappointed in several elements of Speaker McCarthy's leadership, but now is not the time to pursue a motion to vacate. Instead, Congress desperately needs to devote its full attention to passing the appropriations bills within the next 43 days, because that's what the continuing resolution that just got passed over the weekend. That was the point was they're trying to work up the the regular order. Of the House, which is the 12 appropriations bills, have them run through committees, right? This normal order, regular order. Try to get the House back to the way it should be operating rather than this governing and budgeting by fiscal cliffs, continuing resolutions, government shutdowns, right? Get us back onto a regular order, a regular calendar. This is what the holdouts like Dan Bishop and Ralph Norman and Matt Gates and Andy Biggs, the House Freedom Caucus, this is what they were demanding when they finally said, okay, McCarthy can be speaker. When they did like 15 votes, you know, and McCarthy couldn't get the the support he needed to become speaker. This is what it was about. In part, this was one of the issues. So what Norman is saying, like, hey, we we're in the process of getting the regular order back up and running. So we need to get these bills through. And if we don't have a Speaker of the House, we're going to be in chaos. That's not going to move these appropriations bills, and we're going to be right back at the same spot. He said, we need to turn our focus now to securing the border and responsible spending reductions to get our nation on a trajectory to balance the budget. All right, so Ralph Norman's not going along with the motion to vacate. How about Dan Bishop? Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply. Food, water purifiers, lighting, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you in Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply, will you be ready when the lights go out? U.S. Representative Dan Bishop from North Carolina here, uh, former, you know, Mecklenburg County Commissioner and state representative, state senator, uh, now congressman, uh, announced candidate also for attorney general. Uh, what, where does he come down on this motion to vacate, to oust Kevin McCarthy from the speakership? Here's what Dan Bishop said in a statement, quote, After deliberation, I have decided to vote against the motion to vacate the chair for three reasons. First, Mr. McCarthy is an accurate reflection of the current 
House Republican Conference. I'm going to come back to this point. Second, Congress operates by numerosity, which I was not aware it was a word, but I'm going to Google it. But he says what that means is there must be a substantial groundswell for an effort towards fundamental change. One person's play call with roughly five to seven potential supporters portends no path towards success, only chaos. That's why I have not previously moved to vacate the chair myself. You have to think about the next step here, people. Third, a reckoning is due in the Republican Party to make it a force capable of confronting the crises and opposition we face. I have chosen a different path outside of Congress to pursue to make it one. I cannot impose this burden on an institution from which I am soon to depart. I respect the courage of those who will take a different path. So he totally understands why people will do it. He disagrees with their conclusion, but he respects them for doing it. There's no animosity here from Dan Bishop. So let me go back to this first statement he says, is that McCarthy is an accurate reflection of the current House Republican Conference. I think that's true. Otherwise, the House Freedom Caucus would be a lot larger, right? And isn't that what a speaker of the house is supposed to be like he is supposed to be a reflection of the will of the majority party and the will of the majority party is Kevin McCarthy. And you know, the 15 holdouts from a couple uh, from earlier this year, including Dan Bishop, right? Those folks who did not want to give McCarthy the speakership until they could extract certain promises, which by the way, McCarthy has not kept all of them. Okay. So now you move to step two. You, you vacate the chair. You oust him because all the Democrats are like, yeah, screw him. He's such a Trump lover and whatever. So you, all right, so they band together with the five or so uh, Republicans, and now you have no speaker. Okay, so who would you prefer run that show? And more importantly, who gets the votes? Who gets the votes? Because the House Republican Conference is not of a uniform idea on this. The vast majority of them want McCarthy. So how do you align the votes for somebody else? If you just ousted, because there's nothing that could stop them from renominating McCarthy. And then we end up with another speaker fight. And meanwhile, none of the other stuff gets done. Like this is like what Rush used to call, right? The mayor of Realville, he called himself you got to operate in reality. And what is real? What is achievable? I understand forcing votes and, and getting people on the record. I totally understand that. I don't think this is that. And I think that's what Bishop is saying here, too. Right? There's got to be a, there's got to be a groundswell for fundamental change. And much to his chagrin and disappointment, there isn't that in the House Republican conference. There is not. Not yet. And that's why he's opted to run for attorney general, where he can actually make a bit of a difference. Because the Republican conference, they want McCarthy. All right, you may have noticed that I've been helping the Alzheimer's Association of Western North Carolina for a while. And it's a great organization. they got awesome people with huge hearts. My grandfather died of Alzheimer's when I was a kid. And back then, there wasn't a lot of support for caregivers and family 
Now, things are different today thanks to the work of the Alzheimer's Association. It's why I support them. Every year we do a series of walks all over the country. There are a bunch in the Carolinas. You can go to alz.org slash walk for a walk to end Alzheimer's near you. This month, there are walks in Hendersonville, Rock Hill, Mooresville, Greenville. And in October, we got Charlotte, Gastonia, Asheville, Kannapolis, Hickory, and Spartanburg. Go to alz.org for all of the dates and locations. We're closer than ever to stopping Alzheimer's, and we're asking if you can help us get there. Will you walk with me for a different future for families? For more time, for treatments, this is why we walk. So the rules of the House allow for any single lawmaker, Democrat or Republican, to make a motion to vacate the chair. Essentially an attempt to oust the Speaker from that leadership post through what's called a privileged resolution. It is a rare but strong procedural tool. It's only been used twice in the past century. But in recent years, conservatives have wielded the motion as a weapon against their leaders, their own leaders, right? McCarthy was trying to appease some on the, quote, hard right as he fought to gain their vote for speaker. I love how this idea that hard right means, you know, fiscal discipline means, hey, let's not spend ourselves into oblivion. Like that is now a hard right position. That used to be a centrist position. They agreed to give as few as five Republican members the ability to initiate a vote to remove him. But when that wasn't good enough, he agreed to reduce the threshold back to one, which is what was the norm, right? Proponents of allowing a single lawmaker to file the motion said it promotes accountability, noting its long history in the House. Now, the last time the motion was used in 2015, when Mark Meadows of North Carolina did it, he later went on to become Trump's White House chief of staff. Two months later, John Boehner said he would be stepping down. No speaker has actually ever been removed from office through a motion to vacate the chair. So that's why it's historic today. At any point in time, a member of the House can introduce this resolution. It's a privileged resolution, and that means you get priority over other measures. Once that motion is introduced, the lawmaker can walk onto the House floor and request a vote. That request forces House leaders to schedule the vote. They have to do it within two days, two legislative days. There are procedural motions that members of either party could introduce to try to slow it down or stop the process, like tabling it, for example. Um, If those tactics fail, then the resolution comes to the floor for a vote, and then it takes a simple majority of the House. When no seats are vacant, that would be 218 votes, right? To remove the speaker, 218. So that's why if you have absences, if some Democrats, quote, take a walk and they're not there, it might be easier for McCarthy to survive. It's never been successful. A motion to vacate has been used as a political threat against a couple of them, dating back to Republican Speaker Joseph Cannon, for whom that building is named. The building with the fire alarm that apparently controls the doors, at least according to Jamal Bowman. The effort failed as his fellow Republicans voted overwhelmingly to keep him as the leader. That was 1910. But by calling the bluff of his detractors, Cannon was able to put him on the record and end the threats against him. Well, that was a different time. In 1997, Republicans got frustrated with uh, Newt Gingrich. They considered to try to do that to him but eventually decided against it. 
Gates, a member of the ultra-conservative House Freedom Caucus. We've gone beyond hardline now. This is the Associated Press. Um, Gates and other critics of McCarthy say he has failed to be the conservative leader the party needs. Well, this is what Dan Bishop was saying, is that he is representative of where the Republican conference is. They're not all conservatives. There are a lot of Republicans from swing districts that are anything but, right? So if you're trying to find somebody to be, because this is the thing that always gets me, and I see people in Dan Bishop's feed right now saying this to him, which is, you need to represent the will of the people. You need to represent, you know, what I want. And people always think, not well, not always, but a lot of people think, a lot of the loudest people think that their opinion is what everybody else thinks. And that's not true. Most people aren't even aware of any of this stuff. <laughs> First off, most people don't even know what's going on. But the people who are screaming at Bishop saying that he needs to vote to vacate the chair, vote for the motion, because that's what his constituents want. Well, then wouldn't that same philosophy apply to Kevin McCarthy's position? Right? He's in that post because that's what his constituency, not just in California, but also the Republican conference, the Republican members of Congress, aren't they by telling him like he's got, you know, 200, what, 212, I think it is. I forget what the exact breakdown is. Like he's got 212 minus seven, minus five or whatever. So he's got 207. So he's got all he's got 200 plus votes in his own conference. It's just a handful. It's like five or six or seven Republicans. So wouldn't he be doing the will of his constituents that way? By doing the things that he's been doing that gets the votes that he gets, isn't that doing the will of his constituents? The group has also made sweeping demands to reimagine the U.S. government, which they criticize as woke and weaponized. Again, this is the Associated Press. The anti-McCarthy faction is only a small minority in a Republican conference. Uh, There's no clear consensus candidate to take his place. Well, what could go wrong? What's going to happen... What's going to happen if McCarthy is ousted? Then what? Who's next? Who, who, who's the next speaker? Uh, I'm open to some ideas here. Is it going to be one of McCarthy's lieutenants? Steve Scalise? Patrick McHenry? Uh, what's his name? Tom, I think. Emmer, right? Isn't that the guy's name? Like, who, who's next? Who wants it? And you've got... Not a lot of time here, right? Not a lot of time at all uh, before, I mean, because the election season is ramping up right now. We're going to start filing for 2024. That means all of these House races are on the ballot. And McCarthy, by the way, guy's been a very prolific fundraiser for a lot of Republicans in the House. So what? They're just going to abandon him now? Or do they resubmit his name? And now we're going to go through all of this again. And by the way, while we're looking at it, I understand like there's uh, there are a lot of reasons to doubt McCarthy's uh, ethics and his his commitment to conservative principles and such and uh, and and why he's doing what he does, maybe for personal gain versus good of the people like all of those arguments. I'm aware of all of those arguments that get made against him all the time. But have you examined Maybe 
like why Matt Gates is doing what he's doing. Just spitballing here, but is it possible he might be benefiting from the kind of coverage that this is giving him? We call it earned media, where you do something newsworthy and then you get all this coverage, so you earn the media coverage, but you don't pay for it. You're not spending money on ads because you know he's thinking about running for governor of Florida. You trying to elevate a profile here or what? I, I, I don't know the answer to these questions. I don't really even care, right? I tell you this because something big is about to happen, and my concern is actually not even about any of this stuff. It's about how we are not putting the country on a course correction for spending. I thought we were making progress towards the regular order. This, this is now a distraction. To me, this is a distraction. We were making incremental steps to kind of get us back to the point where we're actually doing a freaking budget. And it's not just a big omnibus bill getting crammed down our throats at, at the last minute or else, you know, you want to shut down the government and all these people are going to die. No one's going to get paid and everything else. Regular order preempts that garbage, that governing and budgeting by crisis and catastrophe. Oh, and by the way, Treasury bond reaches 4.5% for the first time since 2007. You know what that's going to do to our debt? Here's the email from Melissa. Some people ought to study the assassination of Julius Caesar. Brutus and his conspirators had no plan for succession. The people protested the assassination, and Brutus was soon exiled, first from Rome and then the entire country. Be careful what you wish for. Right, that's the thing. If you come for Caesar, don't miss, right? But even then, if you, if you get him, then what? It crumbles, right? Because who took over? Was it at Mark Antony? Cleopatra? Then wasn't he like murder? Wasn't he? Oh, he killed himself or something down in Egypt. I think that's how that went down. I mean, I'm just remembering the HBO show. What's his name? Portnoy? No, not Dave Portnoy. Fortnoy? Maybe that's his name. Dave Portnoy is from Barstool Sports. All right. Moody's, which you can never really gauge kind of how they're feeling just moment to moment. But Moody's announced that a government shutdown would threaten Washington's AAA credit rating. Both Fitch and Standard & Poor's have already downgraded Washington's credit rating based on past fiscal recklessness. Downgrading a bond signals to investors that the bond issuer is more likely to eventually default, which typically leads investors to demand a higher interest rate to compensate them for the additional risk. Okay, that's those are all fundamental factors of, of interest rates and such and borrowing money. I know if you graduated from public schools, you probably don't know anything about any of that. But it's really, really, really important. Really important. When you borrow money from somebody, they may give you the money and they're going to charge because you want the money now. So you're buying essentially time, right? So they want to recoup the time that their money would otherwise be working for them. So they give it to you. They're going to charge you interest. But if you are a bad risk, they're going to charge you more interest because they're not so sure you're going to pay them back. This is dangerous because the interest rates have already been rising and that endangers federal finances. 
In the past week, the interest rate on the 10-year Treasury bond reached 4.5% for the first time since 2007. In addition to raising the cost of home loans, car loans, and business loans, rising interest rates threatened to push Washington towards a debt crisis by drastically raising the annual interest cost of servicing the federal debt. Right? We got to pay it back. Lawmakers have long gambled the federal budget and the economy on an apparent assumption that interest rates will never rise again, which is pretty stupid. Brian Riedel, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute writing at CNN.com, of all places, said between 1990 and 2021, so for 20 years, or 30 years, over the last 30 years, the average interest rate that the federal government paid on its debt went from 8.4% in 1990 down to one7 thanks to a dovish Federal Reserve, sluggish economy, and rising global savings. This then allowed Washington politicians to hike the debt held by the public. It went from $5 trillion to $25 trillion, with annual interest costs remaining about $350 billion over that entire period. Right? Because as the interest rates come down, they're like, oh, money is cheap, we borrow more money. And we're still paying about the same. Oh, look at us. That's awesome. Yay, we're so smart. We can spend all this money. Now, as long as interest rates keep falling, Congress could keep adding more and more and more debt without the interest cost rising. But guess what hasn't happened now? Right? The stable interest costs become increasingly affordable as the economy and tax revenues rose. And then over the past several years, progressive politicians and leaders start treating the falling interest rates as some sort of, you know, iron law of economic science and data, and they propose trillions in new spending, free lunches for all. Yeah, except the low interest rate case for debt-financed spending has failed because Washington never locked in the low interest rates. The average maturity of the federal debt, which is the length of time, you know, before you got to pay it all back, is still just 76 months. And nearly all of it has to be replaced with new bonds within a decade. So Because they, they owe so much, it's basically like, I'm going to take out this other credit card and pay off this other credit card. That's what they're doing. But the interest rates now are way higher, which means your debt repayments, like your, your monthly minimums that you got to pay to the credit card, it's now, you know, five times as high. Oh, and you've borrowed even more money that you have to put on more cards. Washington is already scheduled to borrow $119 trillion over the next 30 years. That will push the debt to about 200% of the economy. In other words, twice as large. We will have our economy, I think our economy is somewhere around $4 trillion a year or something like that. So... Every single thing that we make, every single thing that we produce is totaled in the GDP, is our total economy, two times as much as that. That's what we owe. That's not sustainable. This has been one of my top issues my entire adult life. And I don't have a party that actually does anything to fix this. So, anyway, that might explain my political philosophy when, you, when we talk about individual candidates, because I tend to prefer issues over candidates. Mm-hmm.